Well, good morning. I'm excited to be with you this morning on this uh, post-tulip time Mother's Day Sabbath weekend. Just a quick show of hands. How many of you made it to all six parades? Anybody? Okay, extra chocolate by the door. Round of applause for them as well. Great job. We got some tulip time extraordinaires here this morning. (laughs) As I was thinking about this day, I realized how is it that you um, honor Mother's Day? There's so many different, different perspectives. There's the humorous perspective because the truth is, as moms, you never know what's coming next. I read a story this week where the uh, mom was going through her nightly routine putting on cold cream when their young child walked in. And the young child said, Mom, what are you doing? And mom said, Oh, it's okay, honey. I'm just making myself beautiful. Fast forward five or ten minutes, and mom is using a cloth to take the cold cream off, and the young child says, What's the matter, mommy? Didn't it work? (laughs) You never know what's coming next. There's also, as you stop to think about motherhood, and I'm going to put this in fatherhood as well, but as you stop to think of it, there is is definitely some impossible, there's the impossible perspective, all right? So here is a job description and responsibilities for motherhood. Long-term players needed for challenging permanent work in an often chaotic environment. Candidates must possess excellent communication and organizational skills, be willing to work variable hours, which will include evening weekends and frequent 24-hour shifts. Must provide on-the-site training in basic life skills, such as nose-blowing and shoe-tying. Must have strong skills in negotiating, conflict resolution, and crisis management. Must be able to think outside of the box, but not lose track of the box, because you're probably going to need the box for an upcoming project. Also, must be able to drive motor vehicles under loud and adverse conditions while simultaneously practicing the above-mentioned skills in conflict resolution. Must possess the physical stamina of a pack mule and be able to go from zero to 60 in three seconds flat in case this time The screams from the backyard are not someone crying wolf. Must be willing to face stimulating technical challenges, such as small gadget repair, mysteriously sluggish toilets, and stuck zippers. Must screen phone calls, maintain calendars, and coordinate production of multiple homework projects. Must have the ability to plan and organize social gatherings for clients of all ages. Also, must carry a diverse knowledge base, so to answer the question, such as, What makes the wind move on the fly? Responsibilities also include floor maintenance and janitorial work throughout the facility. (laughs) Can I get an amen from the moms in the house, right? (laughs) And this job, as I mentioned, I think that expands to fatherhood as well. One of the things the job description didn't do is the overarching theme for all of this, for motherhood and fatherhood is that in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of all the things that are happening, parents are establishing in their homes what Justin Early, in his book called Habits of the Household, he calls it schools of love. They're establishing environments where all who live there can receive the word of God, setting the table to receive the word of God, so then they can also extend that word and that love to others as well. Mothers and fathers help their children write the script in their lives. As we think about it, this is the starting ground where we're forming all who live
to be lovers of God and lovers of our neighbor. We're going to dive deeper into that with uh, today's text. But before we do that, I also want to acknowledge a wider perspective on this day, a wider perspective on motherhood. This perspective is called The Why, The Wide, by Amy Young, and it just gives some different perspectives that we want to acknowledge. To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who've walked the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointments, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things, we don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are foster moms and mentor moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who have lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who have lived through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who have aborted children, we remember them and you on this day. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way you have longed for it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who envision loving, lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and we celebrate with you. To those who have placed children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold your child in your heart. To those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprised, we are anticipating with you. And to those who are spiritual mothers, we need you. This Mother's Day, let us walk together with one another. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst. May we remember one another. So could you turn to a female around you and just say, Thanks for being a warrior in our midst. Ready? Go. <laughs> we are blessed by our warriors. And as I mentioned, we're going to drill deeper into the concept of motherhood and fatherhood. For our guests today, a special welcome. We're in a series on the book of James. And one of the things that we have been hearing through this series is Kevin is saying James is, is challenging his audience to become tougher. James is challenging his audience to become mature. And what we're going to talk about that maturity, maturity leads to spiritual motherhood and fatherhood within the body of Christ. James is talking to a church that's in crisis. They are in need of spiritual mothers and fathers. Our church today is in 
crisis. We are in need of spiritual mothers and fathers. Now, some of you might be familiar with this concept. Others of you might be wondering what this is. Simply put, these are folks who have experienced the transformative love of God and are ready and willing to extend that love to others. They have danced in the circle of love and they understand their story. They know where they've come from. They invite God into the story to help write their script. These mothers and fathers know their true identity in Christ and there is such beauty and power in their voice in the church. In essence, it's those who are willing to say, this is what God has done for me. This is what he's done for us, his body here on earth. And this is what we're going to do for the world. The fascinating thing about maturity in Christ is there's not a one-to-one correlation with, the phys- with physical age. You can be physically very old and still not mature in Christ. And the opposite is also true. You can be very young, 10, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, and be very mature in Christ. Spiritual mothers and fathers are diligent in tending the garden of their own heart and maturing their faith. They believe, they tame, and they do. Those are the three things that we're going to look at today in today's text. But before we get there, there's one side road that I want us to go down. Because the passage, our first passage that we're going to read is about faith and deeds. It's about works. And it is in the center of a lot of controversy within the church today. In fact, it's always been in the center of a lot of controversy. Uh, Martin Luther didn't even want to include the book of James in the canon for some time because of, of this passage. And so if you are interested in that, I invite you to wrestle with it uh, yourself. I'm going to share where my wrestling came to. Um, and the, the wrestling I came to is there are two different types of works, and there are two different audience that are getting addressed between Paul's message and between James' message. So Paul, as you know, he was a uniter of the gospel. As he went around to the churches, he was preaching. His gospel message is there is one body. The Gentiles and the Jews, they're all invited to the table of God. For it is by faith, it is by grace we have been saved, not by works so that no one can boast. And he's saying everybody is invited to the table. Everyone is invited to the circle of love. As he was preaching this, there were some groups who were trying to put fences around that table. So there were some groups who said, no, there's some precursors to what, you are, to what you have to do in order to have access to the table. And those precursors that they were trying to lay down were works of the law. That's our first works, works of the law. So you had to be circumcised. You had to eat kosher food. You had to wear the right tassels in order to make it to the table. And James is saying, no, no, that's not right. Everyone is invited. So Paul, I'm sorry, Paul said that. Paul is saying everyone is invited. The root, the beginning of salvation. Now James is talking to people, an audience, who already is sitting at the table. Who's already understanding, hey, I'm in. I'm in the family. I've got my seat at the table. And what he's saying in the works, in the works of faith the second type of works, works of faith, what he's saying 
is be careful. Do not allow for your thoughts to describe your life. You have to have words. You have to have actions if you really believe. So Paul, it's the root of our salvation. James is the fruit of our salvation. There's a Bible study, Mastering the Basics, that that says it this way. Paul writes about how one begins the Christian life, while James writes about how one lives the Christian life. The issue for James is sanctification. Paul, the root of salvation. James, the fruit of salvation. And James did not like the fruit that he was seeing in the Jerusalem church. With that, let's dive in. James 2, 14 through 25. Faith and deeds, if you want to follow along. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is a God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith were made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave a lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Like it or love it, James does not dance around. He does not mince words, does he? (laughs) One of the takeaways from this is that talking about being a transformed person and being a transformed person in Christ are two different things. James is teaching us in this scripture that real faith is involved in the real world. It's not invisible. It's not good enough for a disciple just to be an admirer of God. They also must be a doer of his word. Now, on Mother's Day, I don't know if your family has this. I thought it would be fun to honor my great-great-grandma One great. My great-grandma, we have a family cookbook. Anybody else have one of these family cookbooks? It has all the the family favorites that I like to go to from uh, time to time. And in the front of this family cookbook is a tribute to my great-grandma. And her lifestyle was a lot different than what mine is. So Monday was wash day, Tuesday was ironing day, Wednesday was mending day, so on and so forth. 
They would live during the Great Depression, so they would hatch eggs from an incubator. They would have to turn those eggs twice a day. There was a lot of gardening and canning that happened, bread making also a couple times a week, a large garden, all the, all the things. In all aspects, Grandma was a home, homesteader. And there's actually, there's a movement right now. It has all kinds of different labels back to more of the simple lifestyle. Maybe you've heard it. There's uh, back to the land, downshifting, intentional living. And it's the idea of becoming self-sufficient and being frugal. By all means, I am an admirer of this movement. I love the idea of a simple lifestyle, of living off the land with a purpose, I've read about it. I've dabbled in it with chickens and epically failed gardens. But I am nothing but a wannabe in this department. I am a hearer and a learner, but not a doer. And what James is saying in this scripture is that's not enough. If you transfer that to the Christian walk, to be a hearer and a learner is not enough. We need to be doers We need to be those who exhibit Christ's life through us. That's one of the things that we've been been hearing about, that we would become people who would think, speak, and act like Jesus. So talking about being a transformed person and being a transformed person in Christ are two different things. In verse 15 and 16, James says, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. And if one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical deeds, what good is it? In verses 18 18 through 20, he goes on, yes, you believe, but even demons believe. In other words, he's asking, what are the results? Show me the evidence of your beliefs. You see, demons, they can recite scripture. They even stand awestruck at who God is, but they do not display the fruit of the kingdom. Many scholars also agree that the tie-in with Abraham in the original text, James' audience would know there is a lot of covenantal language that is happening in this text at that time. Abraham didn't offer Isaac the first time that he heard God's voice, and James' audience would know that. He would know that Abraham, they would know that Abraham was invited into a covenantal relationship with God. There was a relationship of trust, of believing, of experience, of obedience. Friends, we are invited into that same covenantal relationship. And we are not transformed unless we are intentional about spending time in the circle of love. I love to hear uh, stories of what happens downstairs while we're up here most Sundays. Our kindergarten through fourth grade with um, under the direction of Shannon and Tim and Sarah and and many others, they they set the table so our, our kids can sit in the circle of love so they can experience that transformational power, that unconditional love that God has for us. And they have a quiet time where they just listen. And then I have a seven-year-old friend who has transferred this to home. And in his home at night, he either listens or sings to Waymaker before, before he goes to bed. And then he just sits in quiet time to see what the Lord has to say. 
for him, for others. It is so faith-building to hear those stories. See, the good news for all of us is we have a father who loves us unconditionally. He loves us unconditionally in transforming ways. And the process of transformation moves us from a self-centered, admiring faith into one of agapeo love, where we will the good of another. Spiritual mothers and fathers have a deep, abiding relationship with God. This is formed in the process of believing and doing, believing and doing. They don't just talk about transformation. They have allowed their hearts to be transformed, and the fruit of their life demonstrates what they believe. Spiritual mothers and fathers are also tamers. Let's continue in the text. James 3, 1 verse 12, taming the tongue. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. That's not intimidating. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animal, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring, neither can a salt spring produce fresh, fresh water. Now, some scholars would say that James is this brilliant book of a literary work called Chiasms. And in a chiasm, uh, from the front and the back, they build towards the center. And once you get to the center, you find the treasure, the central message of the book. And these verses that we just read are the central message of this book. James shows us, he, he acknowledges how incredibly hard it is to tame the tongue. But he believes that the words that we use give credibility to the witness of our lives. And we should be diligent in how we use those words. Because as we speak of one another, and we speak about one another, we're speaking about people who are also made in God's likeness. One of the themes I've mentioned so far that this addresses to is this series, the purpose, our purpose here on earth, to think, to speak, and to act like Jesus. A picture of what this could look like. There's a spiritual mother among us. I know she's uh, spiritually mothered hundreds of us within the TRC family. She recently gave me this book 
It's called Balcony People by Joyce Heatherly. It speaks about using our words to encourage and affirm one another. So this world is full of two types of people, a balcony person or a basement person. Basement people are those who have not learned yet to control their tongue. They use words to send critical judgment to others, often crushing spirits. Their words can often live in the unconscious of our mind for years. Balcony people, just the opposite. These are people who encourage and lift one another up. Their affirmation brings authenticity and credibility to our faith. And it's that encouragement and affirmation that the first century, the first century world was exposed to these Jesus followers. Who are these people that are for one another? They're not worried about the power and the control of this world. They're for legitimately lifting one another up. Who are these people? And when James is addressing the Jerusalem church, he's noticing that this is falling away. That they're starting to use words to tear one another down instead of build one another up. Let's do a quick self-inventory. If someone followed you around this week, would they label you as a basement person or a balcony person? How have you used your tongue this week? Have you tamed it? Or is there some mileage left to go? I can sit in both camps. Spiritual mothers and fathers have taken time to acknowledge how the words from basement people have caused hurt or pain in their lives. Sometimes those words of criticism or rejection actually gets into the script, the narrative of our lives. And spiritual mothers and fathers make a conscious effort to name, forgive, move forward, and not let those words from basement people be a part of their story anymore. God calls us all to be balcony people. Balcony people call others into all that God has created them to be. Here's some uh, characteristics of balcony people. They're just really present with each other. They listen well. They provide healing words of affirmation when someone has been lethally injected with words of criticism or rejection. This is kind of a fun exercise to do as you think about who have been the balcony people in your life. Maybe say thanks to them this week. And then, also, who do you want to be a balcony person for? So let's take a 30-second, who have been the balcony people in your life? Check in with those around you. Who Name one or two balcony people in your life. 30 seconds, real quick. And I think we could all agree that balcony people are full, are typically full of God's wisdom. Which brings us to our last text for today. James 3, 13 through 18. James 3, 13 through 18. There's two kinds of wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, 
Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. James has been said to be Old Testament wisdom wrapped in New Testament language. And we have that here in our last set of scriptures. The quality of our life depends on the source of our wisdom. Can you say that with me? The quality of our life depends on the source of our wisdom. So not all wisdom is from above. And we deceive ourselves and those around us when we pretend that it is. As, this, as the verses unfold, there makes a clear contrast. In the first section, James shows that if wisdom is from above, it will produce good fruit done in humility. If the source of wisdom is from the world, it will produce spoiled fruit, envy, selfish ambition, that ultimately erupts in chaos. We don't have to look very far in the world today to see all the chaos. It's kind of a given, right? But we can often ask ourselves when making a decision or when we've made a decision, has this been from God or is this from the world? The fruit of it will, will answer that question. Parents, I heard a fun idea this week as I was listening to a podcast as it was parents who were trying to navigate all the challenges in this world. One of the games that they play is called Spot the Lie. And they just, whatever they're listening to or what is being heard, they'll just talk about it with their family, with their kids, and they'll say, hmm, is this heaven's wisdom or if this is the world's wisdom? wisdom? Spot the lie. We've said this many of times here. I know I'm repeating myself. You and I become what we focus our minds on, what we are exposing ourselves to. In essence, we become what we worship. Time spent renewing our minds on what is true, what is noble, what is right, what is lovely. That is what, when our source is that, we get the, produ the, produce, the production of an abundant life. How do you spend your time? How do you want to spend your time? So the source of your wisdom brings you to abundant life. I love the verses, the promises in verse 17 and 18. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Spiritual mothers and fathers are diligent in seeking heaven's wisdom. They are wise and they are humble, and it's on display in their good life. When faced with the decision, they turn to God first, knowing that he is the source of true wisdom. After looking at the descriptions of doing, taming, and believing, I've wrote some job responsibilities for, mother, for spiritual mothers and fathers. Here we go. Spiritual mothers and fathers, long-term players needed to bring and plant beauty 
in an often chaotic environment, must have experienced the transforming power and presence of God in their own lives that is marked with the fruit of the Spirit. Communication skills require extending words of encouragement and affirmation to others. Understands their role requires preparation, diligence, and patience. Must seek the wisdom of God, which provides direction for negotiating, conflict resolution, and crisis management, with a willingness to bite the tongue when directed by the Holy Spirit to do so. Must be able to screen the influx of information to know if it is part of a worldly mindset or biblical mindset. Job hazards include opening yourself up to be hurt by others while committing to love them anyway. Must have a heart to dance in the circle of love and commit to think, speak, and act like Jesus. Here's the exciting part. Wages, compensations, and benefits. Access to a heavenly father. A divine parent who deposits perfect love in your heart so your love, life can be rich with heaven's resources. He also gives you the ability to generously distribute these shares to others so his kingdom can advance. At this time, I'd like to invite the worship leaders to come back up. I'd like you to start thinking, what is the next step for you in your journey? We have several ways uh, for you to respond today. In your journey towards maturity and becoming a spiritual mother or father, how are you intentional about receiving God's love? Here are a couple things that we'll be offering this week. So Refresh happens every Thursday down the hallway in the auditorium from noon to one. Just we invite you to come and be refreshed in God's presence. Men, on Wednesday night, you were invited to show me the Father's love. There's more information on the website, but just a heads up, the last day to sign up is tomorrow. It would be fantastic if every male in this room would be a part of that experience. That will be a time of encouragement, of blessing, and of challenge. A time to receive God's love. And our text groups, we continue to have people joining James' text groups. Again, on the, you, more information is found on the website. For extending God's love, as Brett started our service out, feast with someone. Allow yourself to be known. Sign up for that feasting. And who is it that you can be a balcony person for this week? Just practical ways to extend God's love. As a reminder today, we want every household uh, to walk out with a tulip. And they are right through the doors in the fellowship hall. As we were thinking and th as we were thinking about tying all these things of spiritual motherhood and fatherhood, tulip time, all the things of the weekend, we thought, you know what? Maturity in Christ can look a lot like growing a flower, can't it? It takes patience and diligence. But when you provide those things, there is beauty for today and beauty for tomorrow in the kingdom of God. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I just bless each person here today. I pray that they would experience your divine love. May that love transform our hearts. May we be hearers and doers of your word. May your compassion and generosity continue to be released through us. I bless each person with balcony people in their lives. 
I also bless each person to be a balcony person for others. May we all turn to you as our only and true source of wisdom. May your kingdom come, your kingdom of shalom come into our lives here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray these things and all of God's children said,